Welcome back everyone to Straight A Nursing Podcast and today we are going to be talking about liver failure. But before we get into that, just a few business items to run through. I wanted to let you know if you didn't know already that this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So if you are listening on one and would prefer one of the others, there you go. And if you could also do a huge favor, if you could go on to any of those that you use, rate and review this podcast, hopefully you have nice things to say, then that helps us show up in the rankings and helps other students find it as well. And secondly, if you have not been to the website, maybe you found the podcast just by looking on iTunes or one of the others for nursing related items, and you haven't been to the website yet, I want you to know there is a ton of information resources, study aids, uh, study guides, notes, just straight up knowledge at the website. And the address is www.straightanursingstudent.com. So go there, check it out. I guarantee you will absolutely fall in love with it. And lastly, running a tiny little promotion. So there is a Straight A Nursing Student Facebook page, like the official Facebook page page, but there's also kind of an unofficial fun little group page, which I'm trying to get bigger. It's not that old and it's not that big yet, um, but I'm working on it and it's called Sleepless in Scrubs. And if we grow in size, I forget what my goal was, but I think it was almost double. If we grow in size by tax day in the United States, that's April 15th, then I'm going to be doing some cool giveaways from Nurseborn products. So if you're on Facebook, go check out Sleepless and Scrubs. You do have to request to join. I just try to keep weird spammer accounts off of there. But uh, as long as you're a real person, you'll be approved and you can get in on the conversation. So let's talk about liver failure. And to talk about liver failure today, I'm going to use the latte method. If you're not sure what the latte method is or have never heard of the latte method, let me give you a quick lead in to what it is. So LATTE is an acronym that I came up with when I was a student, I think I was a first semester student, doing a lot of self-directed learning. I'm sure some of you know how that is. And was getting really lost, getting really bogged down in the overwhelming amount of information that was out there. So our professor would give us case studies to work on and they seriously became medical mysteries that grew into 12, 14, 16 page monstrosities. And we would just, we didn't know where to focus because we didn't have a point of reference knowing nothing. We were first semester students. So we ended up looking for and just getting too much information. And it was overwhelming. And a lot of that information we didn't need. It was way too granular. For what we needed. So I came up with LATTE, L-A-T-T-E. And yes, maybe it did have something to do with the fact that I drank a lot of coffee in nursing school, as I'm sure many of you do. So what do the letters stand for? Well, A 
<clears throat> sorry, L, we'll start with L since that is the first letter in LATTE. L stands for how will your patient look? So this would be, you walk in the room, this is what you see. This is what they might be complaining about when they first come into the emergency room, for instance. So that's L, how will they look? Next is A, assess. How will you assess this patient? Uh, this is all the nursing assessments that you're going to do. Then it's T, what tests will be ordered? So as a nurse, you need to know what tests are going to be ordered or are likely to be ordered so that you can A, ask for them if they're not in the chart already, B, know what results to go look for, know what information you need to create a picture in your mind of how this patient is doing. And also, if it's a test like, you know, a CT scan with contrast dye, you would want to know that that's likely to be ordered so that you could do the proper prep work, you know, getting the right size IV, making sure they're not on metformin, checking their kidney function, etc. And if none of that made sense right now, trust me, it will. Um, it might not make sense if this is your first day of nursing school, but don't worry about it. That was just an example. And then the second T in latte is treated. How will this condition be treated? This is going to be the uh, orders that the physician is going to write, the common things that you can expect, and the nursing interventions that you will conduct. And then E is educate. How will you, how will you educate the patient and or the family? Because remember, education is a big part of nursing. So looking at liver failure or hepatic failure, if you want to get fancy, it's basically something that occurs due to chronic conditions, typically like cirrhosis or cancer. But you could also go into liver failure from uh, toxin ingestion. Maybe they've taken a whole bunch of Tylenol or eaten some funky mushrooms. Um, maybe they have an overwhelming infection that just knocks out their liver. Um, metabolic disorders, sepsis can wreak havoc on the liver. Hypoperfusion, any organ's gonna take a hit with hypoperfusion and even surgery. So knowing that liver failure could be because they've got cirrhosis, maybe because they have um, hepatitis, or maybe because they went on a hike in Oregon like I did once and ate mushrooms that they foraged, which I was really nervous about doing, but I was with a very experienced mushroom hunter. I don't, I know there's a typical, I know there's a real word for people that know about mushrooms and I can't think of what it is, but he knew what it was and he'd eaten them before. I was still a little nervous though. Anyway, I don't know if I would do that again. Okay, so that's just kind of your basic overview of liver failure. So let's go through the latte. L, how will your patient look? So let's say you're taking report on your liver failure patient and you're already starting to think about what you're going to anticipate when you walk into the room. So the skin will likely be jaundiced, especially you know in later stages. So jaundiced skin, jaundice is a medical term for meaning yellow. Um, it's a little harder to see on individuals with darker complexions, but you can also look at the sclera, the whites of the eyes, and those will be yellow as well. 
palmar erythema, that's that redness on the palms, and then the spider nevi. You may have also heard them referred to as spider angiomas. And what these are, are these little tiny, tiny little blood vessels that get dilated. And they've got, it just looks kind of like little legs of a spider branching out. So um, usually you'll see them on the face, uh, maybe across the cheekbones. You can also have them on the trunk or the forearms, the hands, usually on the upper part of the body. So you'll see that with patients who are in liver failure. They'll also have a distended abdomen. So why would they have a distended abdomen? If you remember your portal hypertension and all of that and your oncotic pressures and all of those things and you can kind of um, review your physiology of the liver, you'll know that they're gonna have, you know, the liver's gonna be big and it's not going to be functioning super great. So things back up, things don't flow well through that vasculature. And you end up getting ascites, which is that a collection of fluid in the abdomen, which makes the belly very distended. And then you also have, I know I'm gonna say this wrong, caput medusae, which is, oh, if you just have to look at a picture of it, because it looks like ropey, large veins under the skin. And you'll see this mainly, um, well, you'll see it in the abdomen of a liver patient. And when it's really bad, it's, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it's not good. It's not good. It looks very uncomfortable and it's basically a sign of portal hypertension. So those are the, some of the things that you'll see. You'll also see bruising, most likely. Remember that the liver is a little manufacturing plant for some clotting factors, and it's not gonna be doing that job when liver failure is happening. So your patient's gonna bruise really easily. Perhaps their IV sites will be oozy or any other holes that you place in their body. You will also see muscle wasting. They'll likely be underweight and not have a lot of subcutaneous fat, but their belly, again, will be quite distended. They'll also look confused, perhaps having slurred speech or asterixis, which is that liver flap of the hands and poor coordination. And this is all due to hepatic encephalopathy. One of the things that happens in liver failure is that the ammonia levels rise. Um, if you remember that the functions of the liver, one of them is to remove ammonia from the body. And so it's not gonna be doing that. So ammonia is going to be building up. And one of the first signs of a problem in your patient's liver, maybe even before you know anything else is going on, is that they're, uh, neurostatus will change and that's because of buildup of it, of ammonia and we call that hepatic encephalopathy your patient when you first meet them look at them assess them may complain of shortness of breath the reason for this is because that belly that very distended belly that is full of fluid is compromising their lung expansion they've also got fluid overload so they're going to be short of breath in many cases, markedly short of breath. And then they will also have 
pale or gray colored stool. So that's another one of the things that you will see on your liver patient. And again, the reason for that is because of the jaundice and the, these, this buildup of these, this bile and whatnot in the body. So it's going to discolor the stool. So that's basically how your patient will look. One thing I haven't mentioned is that they may also be um, scratching at their skin. Their skin is very itchy because of these waste products that the body isn't filtering. They try to come out through the skin. So um, they'll be scratching, scratching, scratching their skin a lot. Itchy, itchy, itchy. So the next letter is A. How will you assess your patient who is in liver failure? So you'll be doing regular neuro assessments. Again, that's for the hepatic encephalopathy. You're going to keep a very close eye on that ascites in the belly and how that affects their respiratory effort, their lung expansion, their oxygen saturation levels, their lung sounds. Keep a close eye. You can measure abdominal girth. That's one of the things we do. You will also want to check for bleeding at all puncture sites. If they've got a Foley catheter, make sure there's no blood in the urine or just externally around where that catheter is inserted. You would check their gums, the nares, any wounds, anything that could bleed very well will bleed in your patient, especially if their liver failure is advanced. And note that bleeding can occur internally as well. So if your patient who is in severe liver failure with, you know, bad coagulopathies, complains of a sudden onset, worst headache ever, you're going to be highly suspicious that they're bleeding into their brain. So keeping an eye on bleeding externally as well as internally. And you'll also be monitoring their urine output very closely. So alterations in blood flow and blood vessel tone in the kidneys often leads to hepatorenal syndrome, which can culminates in renal failure as well. So when the liver goes down, the, it pulls the kidneys eventually along with it and you get this hepatorenal syndrome, which is basically liver failure that leads to kidney failure. You will also keep an eye out for sepsis as these patients have a much higher risk for infection. So those are some of the basic assessments that you will do on your patient with liver failure. Now, what tests are you going to be ordering or anticipate being ordered? So you'll want to watch their H&H. Again, you're watching for bleeding, so you want to make sure they have a stable hemoglobin and hematocrit. You're going to monitor their coags, so that's PTT, ProTime, INR. You will be monitoring their liver tests. This is the, you know, the bilirubin, the AST, the alkaline phosphatase, ALT. Their albumin is very important. The ammonia levels, the BUN, the creatinine, the GFR, blood glucose. Okay. Patients in liver failure are often hypoglycemic because if you recall, the liver converts glucose to glycogen, and if it's failing, it's not doing that, so they will often be hypoglycemic. You will wanna monitor electrolytes. 
and uh, fibrin, fibrinogen, and platelets. So lots and lots of labs on your hepatic failure patients. So if you get an ABG on a patient who is in liver failure, you would probably only do this on a patient who is pretty severely compromised with the respiratory status or looking like they are very uh, metabolic, metabolically ill. So you're going to have pretty wide variety of ABG results with liver failure, but I would say it's not that uncommon to see some metabolic acidosis with respiratory alkalosis. Chest x-ray is going to assess for pulmonary edema and pleural effusions. Remember, there's fluid backup and it goes somewhere and a lot of times it goes into the lungs. You will likely want to run an EKG on these patients at some point. It's not likely to be a daily occurrence, but if they have electrolyte imbalances, definitely. If they're hypoxic, you want to make sure that the heart is not taking a hit or maybe they have you know an acidosis or something like that so you want to monitor ekg if they're really sick they'll be in the icu on continuous telemetry monitoring it's not necessarily a 12 lead but you know you can get an idea and then if you see something funky you can go run and do a 12 lead and get the full picture and another test that will be likely ordered for your patient in liver failure is an abdominal ultrasound or a CT scan, and these can assess the kidneys and how they are functioning, as well as take a look at the ascites situation. So the next T in latte is, how will this condition be treated? Liver failure patients can be very busy patients, especially if they're very sick and in a critical care setting. So one of the big things that you will be doing for your patient in liver failure is getting that fluid off so that they can breathe. So that ascites, again, makes it very hard for them to take deep breaths. So they will do a procedure called a paracentesis, which pull, uh, pulls that fluid out and, <clears throat> excuse me, and then they can breathe better. And sometimes they'll have to be, we call it being tapped. They'll have to be tapped daily. Sometimes it's every other day, every few days. Um, it just depends on how quickly that ascites fluid builds up. And this is typically done at the bedside. In some cases, um, the patient may have to go down to IR if they've got uh, a unique anatomy or are very sick or if there's some reason why it can't be done at the bedside, they can still go down like to IR and get it done. But for the most part, what this entails is the patient sits on the edge of the bed, puts their arms on a bedside table, kind of rounds the back, and the, the physician pokes a big old large bore needle into the, uh, the space where they want to take off this fluid, and then it just drains right into these big glass bottles that are like vacuum bottles that just pulls that fluid out and it's kind of kind of looks like fruit punch usually Ugh, it, it kind of ruins you for fruit punch um, but they will often send this fluid off to be tested for any kind of infection or whatnot a lot of times it's a really bad color like you look at it and you're like yeah that thing's infected so just know that 
It can be a variety of shades. Um, another thing that you will do to treat your patient and liver failure is giving lactulose. So you want to get those ammonia levels down and decrease that hepatic encephalopathy. And lactulose is a medication that we give. They can either drink it and it looks awful, or you can give a lactulose enema. And this will bind, uh, bind up ammonia. And then guess what happens to it? They poop it out. So it's a, a poop machine drug, but it greatly helps the neuro status of these patients who have high ammonia levels. You will also be wanting to reduce any coagulopathies. And to do that, you'll be doing things like giving vitamin K, giving FFP and platelets, and doing blood transfusions if they're needed. But for the most part, it's those clotting factors that they need. And that's gonna be in your FFP and your platelets. Okay, let's see what else. So hypoglycemia, like I mentioned, big problem with patients in renal failure. So you'll be treating that as well as any electrolyte imbalances as they come up. I remember I once took her, I think my very first renal failure patient, I was still on orientation as a brand new nurse and I had to check hourly blood sugars. We were constantly giving her, what is it, D50 and a really busy day but I learned a lot and yeah she was hypoglycemic because she was in pretty bad liver failure um, you will also be treating this liver failure with dietary restrictions so a lot of times they'll be on a fluid restriction or a sodium limit to help keep that ascites under control um, you know this it just kind of depends on the patient and if they will even comply with that fluid restriction for some reason, really hard to get people to comply with. The salt restriction, tricky, but not nearly as, as difficult, in my opinion, as a fluid restriction. So if your patient you know, is still eating and all of that, they're gonna have some specific needs due to like vitamin deficiencies, malabsorption problems. They might even have some abnormal nutrient metabolism because their liver isn't working well. So it's preferred that they get small frequent meals. They are not going to wanna eat a big meal because again, the belly's big, they already can't breathe, they're already exhausted. So small frequent meals will most likely be most palatable to them. And in patients with hepatic failure, if they also have esophageal varices. Again, it's just that, that portal hypotension, things backing up, backing up, backing up, and they can back up all the way up into the veins of the esophagus. And if those are present, you don't want to mess with those. I've seen patients bleed out and die from their esophageal varices rupturing. So they're going to have soft foods, okay? No Doritos, no golden grams for those patients, okay? Um, how else will you treat a patient in renal failure? They're going to get uh, vitamins if they have a history of ETOH, patients with the uh, alcoholism history typically are very malnourished. Um, so they get a multivitamin, folic acid, thiamine. This is typically given in an IV bag called the banana bag. 
and I want to say it's like a 500 mil bag and you give it over like four or six hours, something like that. So that will be something that your patient will get daily if they're in liver failure due to being a current alcoholic, having, you know, that malnutrition. And just as an FYI, that thiamine is not compatible with very many things. So if you know your patient's going to be on a banana bag for many hours during the day, make sure you've got another IV site that you can use because you cannot run thiamine. I swear, you can't run it with hardly anything. It's almost as bad as bicarb and being not compatible with stuff. So you want to make sure you have, I would say, two lines to use. You'll also be treating them with albumin. So albumin as you recall, is going to increase oncotic pressure, which will help pull fluid back into the intravascular space, hopefully decreasing that ascites and helping them with their respiratory symptoms. Now, if they also develop renal failure, they may need dialysis. If they go into respiratory failure because they're so fluid overloaded, they're going to be intubated. And let's see if they become septic or very hypoperfused, they're going to be on vasopressors, things like that. So those are generally the treatments that you will do for your patient who is in liver failure. Um, one of the things also I should mention is that they can become hypercapnic because they're not, their respiratory function is so compromised. So you want to keep an eye on those things as well. Now, the last step is E. How will you educate the patient and or the family? And for starters, if the patient is confused, this can be very difficult for families to understand, especially if they haven't been around or haven't seen this really yet, or if the ammonia levels have gotten much worse than they normally are. So if they do have encephalopathy, you want to explain maybe they have to be restrained or maybe they are, you know, you need a bed alarm on the bed, things like that. You want to explain, you know, why these things are needed and it's for the patient's safety and hopefully, you know, you can teach them about the lactulose and get the levels down and that hopefully it's temporary. If there's ETOH, alcohol abuse, you want to discuss resources that are available um, for the patient and the family, such as AA meetings in the area. You will be monitoring these patients very frequently. You might even be checking blood sugar levels every hour. You will most likely be monitoring chemistries pretty frequently. So that's a lot of lab draws and poking and prodding. So you want to explain why these things are so important. You want the patient to understand that they need to call you if their shortness of breath gets worse, if they develop a sudden onset headache, if their neurological status starts to deteriorate. You want to make sure that the patient or the patient's family knows to let you know about it right away. Uh, maybe your patient is a transplant candidate 
you know, if they are and the case manager and the medical team have have viewed this as an option, then you want to, you know, open up those conversations with the patient and family. You wouldn't be the one opening up the conversations, but, you know, having that ongoing dialogue with them. You would want to educate them about dietary restrictions. People need a lot of education on dietary restrictions. Um, I still haven't figured out that I can't eat all the brownies and ice cream I want. So it's just in a time of high stress and when faced with kind of not fun dietary restrictions, they do require a lot of education. And then you want to educate the patient as to, you know, maybe maybe they don't understand why they're in liver failure. You can help explain to them how this happened and how they can prevent future complications. So that is just a quick little rundown of liver failure, how the patient will look, how you will assess them, how um, rather what tests will be ordered, how you treat them, and educate. So that is the latte method looking at hepatic failure. So With that, I'll wrap this up. I hope that was helpful to you. And if you haven't already, rate and review on iTunes. I think I mentioned that earlier, but it's super important in getting us to show up in the rankings so that other students can find us. And have a great, fantastic, beautiful, wonderful day. of straightanursingstudent.com, copyright Mo Media.